When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 142. Today's episode is all about creating a better world. I had no idea that the pandemic was coming or the tremendous sadness and turmoil over the way that such a large segment of our population, the people of color, are treated. But I did know that we were going through once in 100 year events every year or so, hurricanes, earthquakes, et cetera. And these were telling us that we really needed to change. We all have the power to get involved in these consumer uh, movements today, especially easy with, with the social networking. But in addition to that, each of us has the power to do what we most want to do with our lives and, and to use that in a way that will change your life in the world. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, subscribers and reviews are really, really helpful to me, and it's a really easy way to give back if this content is helpful to you. So I just want to give a shout out to someone who left me a recent review that really touched my heart. Katerina says, I have been listening to this podcast for a few months now. Every single episode has been so unbelievably helpful. The insight Melissa has and the authenticity is palpable. I'm grateful for this podcast, what it's helping me heal and supporting my growth. I love this podcast. Thank you so much, Melissa. Well, thank you so much, Katerina. It means so much to me to read things like this. So if you're out there and you haven't left a review yet, I would be so appreciative if you did. But of course, sending you all my love either way. And now into the good stuff. Do you ever look around our world and think, you know, with the way things are going, I'm not sure we'll survive much longer. Not to be morbid, but between greed and climate change and who knows, maybe AI, it's kind of natural to be worried. The weird part is, both sides of the political spectrum don't seem to have the most optimistic predictions. We're either out in 10 years due to climate change, or we're losing all of our personal freedoms to communism. And here I am, just trying to think happy thoughts and trust that everything's always working out perfectly. Which is almost impossible if you're still watching the mainstream media, by the way. Side note, if you only take one piece of advice from me, it would be to stop watching the mainstream media. Seriously, if you do not know by now that it is mostly propaganda, I don't know what to tell you. You know, when Trump was first elected and he kept spewing stuff about fake news, I actually thought at the time, wow, how irresponsible, getting people to distrust the media. They're supposed to be the bringers of truth and transparency and hold people like big corporations and politicians accountable. But then I started looking closer. People I really trusted posted a few breadcrumbs for me, and I started to really hone my research skills. I learned to follow the money. 
and we do not have honest, unbiased media. They are all owned by six billionaires, and 90% of them have the same agenda. I saw this quote recently. I can't really remember where, but basically it was someone in China saying that the difference between China and America is that in China, they don't watch the news because they know it's propaganda. And in America, they haven't really figured that out yet. If you want to unmuddle your brain to be able to actually see what's going on in your life, stop watching the mainstream media. Anyways, I've been tangenting a lot lately, but these bigger things going on in the world are getting increasingly hard to let go. There are real implications if we don't decide to wake up and stop just floating through their manipulation. Which brings me back to the topic at hand. Really though, with all that I just said, I do believe in divine design. I do believe that the universe is always supporting us for our highest good no matter what. But here's the thing, you have to meet the universe halfway. It doesn't mean that something that's happening right now is going to be laid out perfectly for us. Some of these things are meant to be breadcrumbs to wake us up to spur action. And let's just take a basic example. I'm not going to manifest being a best-selling author without actually writing the book. I can't manifest having a top podcast without creating content week after week. I can't manifest being the best in the world at something without putting in the hours. When I look back at my life, I do believe that everything happened for a reason. But I had to go out and find that reason. It wasn't spoon-fed to me. It took a lot of work to figure out how I was being guided. And nobody else guided me. I had to get in touch with my own internal guidance system all on my own. I couldn't just sit in the trauma and see how it played out. And if I would've, I would've been guided by someone else's self-interest instead of my own. I had to take an honest look at what the world was handing me, what it was trying to tell me, and what that led me to actually take action on, which was different than what I felt like doing at the time. The point is, we cannot bring into form a better world without doing our part to create it. And I'll give you a hint, This is not created in fear. I think beginning to create it means having an awareness of how things currently are. And that's the hard part. Like I said, our media is owned by six billionaires who basically own everything else too and who have their own self-interest at heart. There's actually a really good stand-up routine by George Carlin. I'll insert a clip here. But I highly recommend you go check out the full monologue. But here's what he says. The big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. They're, they're, they're an irrelevant. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media, media news, all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. You know something? Okay, now I'm not posting this to bum you out. The point is... If we want to be intentional with our lives and our health and our happiness, we need to know how we are being influenced so we can counteract it. This episode is not about politics, even though it kind of seems like it so far. 
in our current world, you can't just ignore the politics because it's intertwined in everything else that's going on. And actually, it's not really politics. It's the way the world around you is currently working. It's the system. So this episode is about the mindset you need in order to live an intentional life within the system. Today's podcast is going to focus on one question. With everything going on in the world, what can you do to make the world a better place and create a more satisfying life for yourself? Today's guest is fascinating, and he knows firsthand how the government manipulates things to get what they want. He was actually called an economic hitman. His job was convincing developing countries to build huge infrastructure projects that put them in debt to the U.S. So where they thought the U.S. was helping, we were actually screwing them. And even though John had been taught that this was the best economic model for development, he started to see that this was basically a new form of colonialism. His book, Chasing the Jaguar, is all about what each of us can do to actually change our world into a new reality. Three key things we will learn are how to transform fears into positive actions, the importance of transforming our failing death economy into a life economy and what that all means, and how we can change our lives and defend our world against current destructive policies and systems. But before we dive in, do you wish you had a little reminder to help you stay aligned each day? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome John Perkins to the show. Thank you so much, Melissa. It's great to be here. And incidentally... I'm very especially honored because today is the is the day of the publication date of my new book, Touching the Jaguar. It's been available for pre-orders for several months, but today is the day it's actually being sent out in the bookstores, et cetera. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. This is a big day. I have friends who've written books, and I know how tedious and how emotional of a process it can be. So congratulations. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a little bit like, you know, sending a kid off to school off to live by him or herself or whatever. You, you feel great. You've finally done it. You know, like your child has left. But on the other hand, your child's left. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're like, you're now what? <laughs> well, I have spent uh, some time looking through your TED Talk and, and uh, going through some of the things on your website. And what I find fascinating is, you know how sometimes it just seems like the universe is guiding you towards information because it's coming at you from all different directions? Well, this is just so in line with a lot of the things that I've been researching, probably because of our current events. So I'm excited to get into this conversation. But first, I want to ask, you refer to yourself as a former economic hitman. What is that, and how did you find yourself in that position? Well, uh, yeah. So after, so I was, I graduated from business school. I spent three years in the Peace Corps, most of it in the Amazon, some of it in the Andes and South America. 
And then I went back to doing what I'd been trained to do in business school. I became an economist, and I was quickly promoted to chief economist at this major consulting firm. I had uh, between 30 and 50 people working for me, depending on different times. And my real job was that that we called an economic hitman. I was to go out and identify countries with resources that corporations want, like oil, and then arrange a huge loan to that country uh, from the World Bank or some other U.S.-controlled financial organization. But the money never actually went to the country. Instead, it went to our own corporations to make big profits, building huge projects, uh, infrastructure projects like highways and ports and electric power systems in the country. And so a few wealthy families would, would make a lot of money off these projects, the ones who own the industries, who own the commercial establishments, who benefited from better electricity connections and more highways, et cetera, and of course our corporations. But And I thought at the beginning that that was the right thing to do because the studies show that when you do this, you increase the GDP of a country. But over time, I began to see that GDP was a lousy measure. It didn't measure prosperity in a country. It measured the prosperity of, of the richest families. And we can go into that in more detail if you want. But I realized that actually the majority of the people were suffering because money was diverted from health and education and other social services to pay the interest on the loans. And in the end, the loans couldn't be paid off, so we'd go back and, and say, hey, so listen, we'll restructure your loan under the International Monetary Fund, but you'll have to sell your resource, oil or whatever it is, real cheap to our corporations without any, without any environmental or social regulations, or privatize your public sector businesses, your utility companies, your schools, maybe your jails, and sell them at cut rate prices to our investors. Let us build a military base on your soil, things like that. that. And really what we were doing was colonizing these countries in, in the name of our corporations. And I would just mention, Melissa, as, as another point that when leaders of countries did not agree to these terms, people we call the jackals went in and would, they would either overthrow governments or sometimes uh, assassinate the leaders. And there's a long history of that. It's interesting because I have done a lot of research into, well, the things that are important to me. And it started with health. And that led me down to learn about our food laws, our pharmaceutical laws, vaccine laws, all of these different things. And what I found is that I don't always trust the government. I don't trust the government with my health. If I want to take my health or my body into my hands, then I need to make decisions that aren't the approved narrative that we're told. And so it just kind of changed my politics and it changed the way I view the world. And when you question certain things that because when you Google it, it might the front page of Google might have one message. And what people don't realize is that it's the same people that own the media companies that are also influencing our laws that are also lobbyists. Like it, it's, it really goes back to a few agendas. And when you look deeper though, and you bring that up to people, they think that you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so I want to just clear this up. Do you consider yourself to be a conspiracy theorist? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. 
That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. Do you consider yourself to be a conspiracy theorist? No, well, I don't, not at all. I think it's, it's very deep. So, so one of the things I learned when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Amazon, I was actually dying, a shaman healed me. And, and the process was that in that process, I learned our perceptions control our reality, which is one of the main themes of the book, Touching the Jaguar. And, and the subtitle is Transforming Fear into Actions to change your life and the world. And that means when we transform our fears, we're changing our perceptions. So when you think about it, Melissa, there is no United States, there's no Ecuador, there's no Canada, there's no religion, there's no culture, there's no corporations, there's no economy except as we perceive them. When enough people accept a perception or codify it into law, it has a huge impact on reality. And, And so our public relations system creates a lot of perceptions And some of them are true. Some of them, you know, we we can pay attention to, but some of them are not. They're just driven by profit. And again, in the book, I talk a lot about how we've created what we call a death economy, an economic system that's actually failing us because it's it's based on a perception that the goal of business is to maximize short-term profits for a relatively few people, uh, regardless of the social and environmental costs. And that's created an economic, actually it's a governmental social economic system that's ravaging the earth, that's that's destroying the long-run resource base, human and natural, uh, to benefit the short run. And if we change that perception uh, to the goal of business should be to maximize long-term benefits for people and nature, then we arrive at a life economy. And I know these are new terms for a lot of people, and we can get into them. But getting back to your point, 
I think, you know, any system that's based on short-term profit maximization uh, it has to be taken with a grain of salt. So we can listen to some of this stuff. But as you said, our media, for the most part, our, what we call our mainstream media, is controlled by short-term profit motivation. And so is our pharmaceutical industry. So is our healthcare industry. So is our education industry, for the most part. So is our banking. So are almost all the sectors of our government and the economy are controlled by that short-term view. And so we have to be look at it with suspicion. That's not exactly a, a conspiracy theory, but it is a theory that says that all these institutions will do everything in their power be, to, to maximize short-term profit, because that is the perception that we've all accepted, and most of us have accepted. And, and we, we absolutely need to change that perception to turn things around. When you're really considering what this means for our world, it makes you question if, first of all, capitalism is a good thing if we are all run by this a little bit of greed. I mean, we, we might be greedy by nature, and maybe when we get a certain amount of power, that kicks in even more. And because it's there's so many people, so many different companies that end up kind of going the same route— it's interesting to me, though, to really consider where people people that question that this is even possible, that maybe there could be all of these things that actually don't have the truest intentions like they want us to believe we do, that it's got to be some big grand scheme of evil, when really what I was learning when I was watching your TED Talk is how how slippery of a slope a lot of things can be where you go into something thinking you're doing good and then you you start to nail down the nitty gritty and you're just like, okay, well now we just need to increase this conversion and then this and, and all these small decisions that you forget to step back and even look at the bigger picture and see how much damage you're really doing. So I'm curious, do you think that it's like people that are just not good by nature or do you think that, uh, I don't know, it's it's just a slippery slope? It's hard to generalize about people. I think there's some that aren't so good by nature. But, but my experience overall is that most people really do uh, want to do the right thing. They, they, and they, they want to help somebody else, maybe one other person, their family, or maybe the whole world. Or maybe like, I suspect you have this podcast because you really want people to, to, to understand things better. You want to help people. You want to make a better world. That's why I write books. But it's confusing when you live under a system that tells you that you you really ought to be, if you're a corporate executive, you've got to maximize short-term profits, regardless of everything else. And that gives you the mandate to destroy the environment, to, to ravage the resources upon which the long-term depends, or to corrupt politicians. And, and now it can be done legally by big corporations, you know, that no, no politician can get to a high office without corporate money, which then is really a form of corruption, or whatever. So, so we, when we follow this edict, and that's just for corporations. For individuals, the perception is that we ought to maximize our short-term materialistic desires. Uh, by the by, that stuff out there that says, "Hey, you know, you're not a man. It's going to get the woman you want in your life unless you wear the right shirt." <laughs> you know, things like that. And and so you know, we're driven by this by this system. And 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 I want to comment on capitalism because. Really what we have today in the United States and much of the world is not true capitalism. It's what I call predatory capitalism. Indigenous people that have markets, even where it's done by barter, that's a form of capitalism. Capitalism says, you know, the definition is that, that it's a system that, that uh, where, where the means of production and, and, and commercialist 
commercialization are not done by the government. That's that's socialism. They, they, they're owned by private individuals. And it says business is encouraged by fair competition. Well, we have in most of the world today a system where the governments don't own uh, the business, but the businesses own the governments. So the people who own the big businesses really control our governments to a very large degree. And there's not a lot of competition. There is, there can be on a small scale, you know, your, your local, you get two local coffee shops, they're competing with each other, but then a Starbucks comes along and drives them both out of the business. Or you've got a Walmart, any of the big box businesses, we, we really have an oligarchy uh, uh, at the very best a monopolistic system overall. So it's not really, it's, it's what, what economists refer to as predatory capitalism. Any system, if it was socialism, if it was a system where it, all the businesses were owned by the employees, and I love that idea, but if the goal of that system was still to maximize short-term profits, regardless of the environmental cost, no matter who owns the corporations, no matter who owns the businesses, you, you, there's going to be problems. You're going to create this situation that's just not sustainable. And throughout most of history, for most of the 250,000 years that we've been humans as we've known as we know humans to be, we've lived under a much more a true capitalistic system where, where, where trade, barter, and so on and so forth was really done with competition, friendly competition, fair competition, and not where few people own just about everything. That's 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 been fairly recent and it's almost like a blink in, in in human history. And it's good to remember that and that we can get back to living a life economy, which would be much more egalitarian. So I want to go back to what you said about almost dying and then taking a shamanic journey. <laughs> Tell us more about that. And how did that lead to this sort of kind of awakening around this particular topic? It's 1969. I've graduated from business school. I'm deep in the Amazon rainforest, very deep. I'm living in what's called Schwa territory. The Schwa were our indigenous people. In those days, they were totally hunters and gatherers. What we would call primitive, <laughs> get very sick at one point. I was dying. I was a three-day horrendous journey from to the nearest medical facility. I'd have to travel through, hike through dense forests, jungle. Amazon rainforest, and then take a rickety old bus up, if I could find one, up a terrible winding dirt road high, high up into the Andes. There's no way I could do that. I, could bail, I couldn't stand up by myself. And one night, a, a shaman offered to heal me. And I gotta say, Melissa, I'd never even heard of a shaman. It's 1969. I graduated from business school. But it's like, well, okay, you know, I'm told that this guy's a healer. He can help me. Well, there's no other options. So the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, it's at nighttime, I'm sitting in the shaman's lodge, I'm you know, on a shamanic journey, a vision quest. I'm in an altered state of consciousness, and I, my eyes are closed, I see this amorphous shape out in front of me, and the jaguar yells to me, he says, touch the jaguar! And I open my eyes and I look all around, I'm in the jungle, like, where's the jaguar? I know there's a lot of jaguars around that area. Where's the jaguar? It's terrifying. He says, no, 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 close your eyes and touch the jaguar you see with your eyes closed. So I close my eyes, this amorphous form shape shifts into a jaguar, and I hear a voice say, the food and drink will kill you. It's like my mother's voice. And I realized 
you know, I grew up with 300 years of New England Calvinists. We ate very bland foods in New Hampshire. And, and uh, now I'm eating very strange things. Delicacy is squirming white grubs that are alive that you eat, you know. Ooh, no. <laughs> and nobody in the Amazon, you don't drink water from the rivers because the rivers, everybody knows, are dangerous. And, and, and the reason is, you know, from a scientific standpoint, that trees fall in the rivers. There's organic matter that rots in the rivers and there's, there's microorganisms. And so they, the women make a kind of beer called chicha, and they, they chew the manioc root and spit it. It, it sets a fermentation process. You create a kind of a beer that you then can mix water with and, and drink a lot of it. You're in the tropics. You've got to rehydrate. So I'm drinking a lot of spit beer, and I'm eating a lot of squirming white grubs and other things that just were unheard of to me. And I realized on this shamanic journey that every time I drink this beer or eat these Grubs. I hear this voice saying it'll kill you. And I also see how incredibly robust and healthy and vital the schwa are. And they live to be very old if they don't die in a hunting accident or, or something like that. And so that night I, I understood that it wasn't the food and drink that was killing me. It was my mindset, my perception. And after that, the shaman uh, requested or kind of demanded that I become his, his apprentice. Well, I had no desire, you know, there was no future in shamanism for a business school ma major in 1969, uh, but he saved my life. So I spent the next couple of years as his, as his apprentice, and then later I went up into the Andes and apprenticed with a shaman there, and then later in Indonesia and Iran and, and Egypt and many other places I, I've, I've been with shamans. And, and what I learned in that all of these, the whole basis is that our perceptions mold our reality. And so you can sort of think of the reality is that, that the spit beer and squirming white grubs and a perception, you can look at it as a perception bridge, a bridge that takes you to the, to the next reality. The bridge in this case is those foods and food and drink will kill you. And it takes you to a reality of illness, sickness, in my case. If you change that perception bridge, if you cross a bridge that says, ah, this food and drink is making them healthy, it's organic, it's local organic, it's nutritious, you get healthy. And the, what the shaman explained to me in his terms and language, I'm simplifying it, but there's a jaguar standing on that perception bridge. And the jaguar is telling you in, in one, one thing, it's a voice saying, the food and drink will kill you. If you listen to it and you don't, and you just run from it, and you, you just don't, that, that's it. You go to the second reality if you're, if you're sick. But if you reach out and touch the jaguar, as I did, you see a different perspective. You get a different perception. Your perception becomes, ah, it's making these people healthy. Why shouldn't it make me healthy? And that takes you to a new reality. And every one of us can incorporate that kind of thing in our life. You know, as a writer, I, I often run into kind of blocks like, oh, my God, I don't have time to write. I, I touch the Jaguar and say, well, wait a minute. I don't need to watch another television show tonight. I can write or whatever it is. And if we want to move from a death economy to a life economy, we change the perception from maximizing short-term profits to maximizing long-term benefits for all people and nature. And so it's this perception. The Jaguar explains that, that you know, the, touching the Jaguar means that you face your fears and you face your fear of change. You touch your blockages and you convert them into the energy and the wisdom and the, the desire and the patience, whatever you need, to change. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. 
We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I wonder how that works on a different side of the coin where it's really funny that you brought that up and this is going to sound like a really dumb example, but just the other day it got brought up in conversation about, I remember we were talking about how sometimes when you actually take in food, your mindset around the food will change the way you digest it, which is very similar to what you're saying. And it reminded me of a story in college. My like hangover drink was this Jamba Juice chocolate drink called the Chocolate Mood. And I was like, I had no idea about nutrition back then. So I was just like, well, it's a Jamba Juice. It must be healthy. I'm going to have like this XXL Chocolate Mood every single morning. And then I, I remember it was like four months in and I started to, I was waiting for my Chocolate Mood to come and I was reading through their little nutrition facts pamphlet and realized it was like 2000 calories in one. And I swear in like a week, I ended up gaining a bunch of weight. <laughs> and so the only reason I'm bringing this up is on one hand, where it's like our mindset changes our reality, I have had people in this whole, with the world that we're living in right now, and there's, I've been one that's been kind of uncovering the agenda and figuring out what's going on behind the scenes when things don't make sense, where a lot of people I know are just taking what they hear in the media. And I had somebody say to me, well, look, you you seem a little unrestful. You seem a little bit uh, agitated by this, and I'm fine. Maybe ignorance really is bliss. So I'm wondering, how do you marry those two things of, of saying it's all in the mindset to change your perception of what's happening, but also realizing that so many of the things that we are doing in this world actually do have a negative impact, even if we're not personally feeling it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a bunch of questions I think there, but <laughs> I think it's fair to summarize it by saying that that how, whether whether our feelings and our thoughts are negative or positive does have a huge impact on us. And what I came to realize about this idea of perception changing reality is that, that not only is that the basis of shamanism, it's the basis of modern psychotherapy. 
It's the basis of quantum physics. It's the basis of advertising, marketing. It's the basis of our education system. It's the basis of everything human. Uh, most of, almost all, and perhaps all of our institutions. In fact, I can't think of any that it isn't the basis of. And we know that the placebo effect in medicine uh, can be very strong. Uh, people can, you know, get positive results from taking a pill that's just sugar. You know, as a kid, and I, that, I had a doctor in New Hampshire that I later found out, you know, he was giving me these sugar pills and I was feeling better. Um, and, and so we, we know that these perceptions, this whole perception thing has a very strong influence on us. We also know, you know, if, if you're around somebody who's, who's laughing and happy and, and positive and, and inspirational to you all the time, you're inspired. You're happy. On the other hand, if you're around somebody who's nasty and mean and and, and, and unpleasant, uh, bad mood all the time, it, it tends to put you in that's a similar type of mood. So, so these are all perceptions, but the perceptions are truly do mold our reality. And that isn't to say there's no such thing as just physical illness. Of course, there can be. But our perception toward that physical illness and how we deal with it has an impact on us. And I would cite another example, if you want. I don't want to take up too much time here. Do you have another question or should I go keep going? Uh, I have plenty of questions, but go ahead. <laughs> well, after Confessions of an Economic Hitman was published, and it's you know, it sold over 2 million copies. It was on the New York Times list for a year and a half. It's, it was really doing well. And fairly near the beginning, it, it hit the, the list and, and got and get a lot of attention. So I was asked to speak at the United Nations on a Tuesday morning about three months after it was published, and, and I flew to New York. I was living in Florida at the time. I flew to New York and on, t on Monday, and that night, lunch that day, I came to understand later I was poisoned, and there's another story behind that, uh, by a guy who claimed to be a journalist and was something else. But uh, I ended up in the hospital and, and having 70% of my colon removed, my large intestine. Uh, two weeks later, as I'm, as I'm finally healed and about to fly back to Florida, I go in for the, my last meeting with my medical doctor, who was a very famous gastroenterologist. He was Pavarotti's gastroenterologist. That, that takes a lot of, <laughs> it takes a lot of guts. Wow. <laughs> Unintended. And he says to me, you know, I should be telling you that you're now a carnivore. Don't eat, don't eat fruits and vegetables. He said, because it, an herbivore has a very large Long, large intestine, very long, large intestine. A, a, a carnivore has has a very small one, and we humans have something in between, omnivores. But he said you had seven feet of large intestine. I took five, uh, so you're really a carnivore now. But he said, you know, I read your book, Shape Shifting. So, so Melissa, I wrote five books on shamanism. I've written four since then on economics. And, and he said, I think if, if you do the things you said in that book, which incidentally, Melissa, is mainly around changing perceptions, he said, I think you can, you can lead a perfectly normal life. Uh, you had 25 feet of small intestine when you came here, of which the last five don't do anything much except connect to the large intestine. I think at least energetically and psychologically, you can make those last five feet of your small intestine to turn into large intestine. And I have to tell you, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I'm not a carnivore, <laughs> and and I did it, you know, and 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 I it was it was about you know by him saying that it had a huge impact on my perception of what where life was going to go from now. If he'd said the opposite, if he'd said you've got to be a carnivore now, don't you dare eat any roughage, don't you dare eat any fruits or vegetables and so on, or it'll kill you, 
I would have come away with a very, very different reality in my life. It's amazing how our beliefs just impact how our lives play out. And I think for a lot of people, it's easier to put it into practice or it's easier to accept that this works when it's our self-beliefs. But when it comes to changing our world, for example, figuring out how to transform what you call a death economy into something that's actually sustainable, it, I think for a lot of people, they feel helpless. Like, they don't know how to make that kind of change. Like, wow, the government's been run this way for this long. What can we even do now about it? And that awakening of what's really going on when they uncover the truth or when things are unveiled for them leaves them feeling hopeless or helpless more so than it does feeling empowered that now I'm aware and I can do something. So I'm curious, how does this relate back to basically creating a better world on when we really can only start with ourselves. Well, I, that's why I wrote the book, Touching the Jaguar, to be honest with you. I, I had no idea that a pandemic was coming or tremendous uh, sadness and, and turmoil over the way that uh, such a large segment of our population, the people of color, are treated. But I did know that, that we were going through once in 100-year events every year or so, hurricanes, earthquakes, etc. And these were telling us we really needed to change. And that we, the people, must make it happen. Here's, here's a fairly simple one. I do a lot of speaking at big corporate events, at economic conferences. I was recently speaking to 12,000, a conference of 12,000 people in St. Petersburg, Russia. We had major CEOs from the United States and all over the world were there. Putin was there and Secretary General of the UN Guterres. And during breaks, during, during receptions, <laughs> and the Russians love their vodka. You know, they, they love receptions. And uh, CEOs would come up to me and say, you know, I really, I really like what you say. And I want my company to be greener. I've got grandchildren. I've got children and grandchildren. I want to do a better job. But I'm, but I'm afraid if I lose half a percentage of market share, I'll be fired by my, by my primary investors and replaced by someone who only cares about market share. And so please, if you go out there and, and tell your everybody that you talk to to send me and my company an email or tweet or whatever, and have all have them send all of their social networking people the same tweeter and ask them to send it to me and say something like, hey, I love your product, but I'm not going to buy it anymore until you pay your workers in Indonesia a fair wage or clean up the pollution you've caused or whatever. And he said, you know, if, if I have 100,000 of those I can take to my main investors, uh, I can change their perception. I can say, hey, these are our customers. We've, we've got to listen to them. We all have the power to get involved in these consumer uh, movements today, it's especially easy with the social networking. But in addition to that, each of us has the power to do what we most want to do with our lives and to use that in a way that will change the world, as the subtitle of the book says, Transforming Fear into Actions, into Action to Change Your Life in the World. And the book, it, it tells a lot of true stories. It's narrative nonfiction. I try to make it fun and exciting to read. But it also leads us in the end to a, a process that each of us can take it every day or, or once a week if we want for about seven or eight or nine minutes that'll help us move in that direction. And that starts with basically with five questions. The first question, and, and there's a process that comes out of this that we can do for a few minutes every day or, or, or as I said, every other day, once a week, whatever appeals to us. But the questions are, one, uh, what do I most want to do for the rest of my life? What will bring me the greatest happiness, the greatest satisfaction? For the rest of my life. And I would say for me, it's write. I love to write. 
And uh, it, let me use another example. A friend of mine who's a carpenter, he, he says it's work with wood. But anybody can apply this. The second question is, how do I use what I most want to do in the world to make a better world, to help somebody else, help other people? And that the other people could be one person or the world. And because we all feel better about ourselves if what we're doing also helps others. That's human nature. We feel better when we do that. There may be some exceptions, sociopaths, but most of us feel that way, even some of the sociopaths sometimes. So for me, it's telling stories, writing stories that that inspire people to transform a death economy to a life economy. My carpenter friend, it's getting his clients to use sustainable materials. The third question is, what stands in the way? What's the jaguar? What's blocking us? What's the voice telling us we can't do this? And for a writer, it might be, oh, I just don't have time tomorrow to do any writing. And for the carpenter, it might be, well, my clients don't want to pay more for sustainable materials. And so the fourth question is, how do we touch that jaguar? How do we change our perception? And for a writer, it's to say, oh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, well, I don't have to watch quite as much television tonight. I can write instead, or I could get up a half an hour earlier in the morning and write. And for the carpenter, the, the jaguar, when he touches it, says, hey, tell your clients the price of, of sustainable materials is not a cost. It's an investment in the future for themselves and their children and grandchildren when they use sustainable materials. And the fifth question is, what actions do I take? And every day, and, and the answer for a writer is, you write or almost every day. And a carpenter, you use sustainable materials. And you tell your clients. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to write poetry about it. You can just say, hey, look, look, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm building with this material. And think of what that's doing for your kids, how that's helping the future of the planet. And so, you know, we each can do this. And, and those last three questions, what stops me? How do I overcome that? How do I change my perception? What do I do each day? The answers to those questions can change fairly frequently. And, and as, we, as we move through one part of that process, we may find another Jaguar. We probably will that we have to touch and we go through that process with that. But, but each time we do it, we rise to a new level of consciousness and satisfaction. I love that. And it, I am hopeful because I've noticed that First, the millennial generation seemed a little bit more in tune with practices, but they were like halfway there. But Gen Z, from what I've read about like marketing to Gen Z, I went to this nonprofit conference um, back last June and there was this whole session about marketing for Gen Z and they were showing all of these studies uh, where they had surveyed like tens of thousands of people and were tracking the spending and, and just basically the buying behavior of people across generations. And one of the biggest things for Gen Z is the the impact on the environment, whether it's climate change or whether it's equal rights or whether it's not using sweatshops or whatever it is. And so on one hand, it's like, we're kind of having a churn where the newer generations might save the planet. <laughs> but on the other hand, we might not have that kind of time at the rate that we're going. When you really think about it, it looks, there's a lot of models and predictions that don't look too great for the earth. So do you think we have hope there to make these changes quick enough? If I didn't think we had hope, Melissa, I wouldn't write books. I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Yes, uh, I have great hope. And before this virus hit, for a number of years now, we've seen huge changes. I mean, you know, changes in perception. Look at the changes in perception about gender, about sexuality, about same-sex marriages and, and transgender and so on and so forth. Who would have thought 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, 
that we would be where we're at today, that the Supreme Court just recently would have done something that they did the way they did it, made the decisions that they did. We've seen huge changes. And we've seen the growth of B corporations, benefit corporations, uh, conscious capitalism, the Green New Deal, 192 of the world's most powerful, successful executives came together last August at the business roundtable and basically made a statement that they can no longer be run by short-term profits as the primary motivating force. They basically made a statement that said, we got to move into the life economy. Now, we, the people, the consumers, the, the investors, the employees, we all of us, we need to get together and, and, and push these executives to do that. That's always very important. But we were, we've been seeing huge changes. And it, it seems like it's taking a long time when you're, you're down in the trenches, you know. <laughs> but really, five years, ten years is not a lot of time. And there have been major, major changes in attitude during that period, when I first, after I first wrote Confessions, it came out in late 2004. For the next couple of years, as I spoke at universities, I talked to students, and I kept hearing, especially in business and programs, their goal was to make it was to, was to make a lot of money and have a lot of power. And these days, I don't hear that uh, so much. I, today, you know, in these days, what I hear is, we, you know, we want to live good lives and we want to create a better world for our, for our children. So we've been seeing these changes, and I think being hit by this coronavirus, this pandemic, and being also being forced to really look at, at, at our relationship with, with people of other color, of other persuasions, of, from other cultures, and all of this is, is an indication that we are truly waking up. There's a consciousness revolution across the planet, and whenever there's a revolution, the forces that don't want change, the status quo tries to stop it, you know, and many of those are our leaders. They think they're at the top of the economic pyramid and the power pyramid, and they are, but they think that's what's making them happy. They don't realize that they're going to go down, too, if we continue with this death economy. They try to stop us. That always happens in a revolution. And if the agents of change understand that that's just an indication that we're being successful, if we take energy from this uh, negativity that's flown, that's thrown at us, that well, you can't change. If we if we take that as well, by God, that means that we are in the process of changing. We're touching that jaguar. Then we really move forward into uh, taking new actions that do turn around reality. It's interesting because one of the things I've been working on is just releasing judgment, no matter what. And so, I may have strong views uh, politically, but one of the things that I'm realizing is that those strong views can create biases that I don't want to have either. So I've been working on just releasing judgment or preconceived notions about anything and trying to look at it objectively. And since I've been doing this, I've had these different ideas about our current president than I used to. And I'll explain that. Whereas before, it was just so easy to just be appalled by so many things that I saw. Now that I'm releasing that, all of a sudden, I am attracting messages from other people. And one of them was this intuitive who was saying that she was look, opening the Akashic Records, if you believe that sort of thing. But she was looking at our president through the eyes of the Akashic Records. And she laughed and she said, I see him as an angel who lost a bet. And she explained this as an angel, basically like all the souls up there in the other realm, whatever, looking down and being like, okay, these are the changes that need to be made. One person's got to go down there and be the shadow figure and be the one that is so polarizing and says the, these things that trigger people so much that it force 
a conscious awakening in the masses. And so it's interesting looking at it that way, where all of a sudden now I'm like, oh, gratitude towards things that I didn't understand before. I'm like, thank you for being the one that makes everyone be like, wait, wait, what's going on over there? (laughs) So I'm wondering, how do you view that right now as far as what's happening in the government? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a really nice way to look at it. That's, I don't, you know, as a, I was an English major once, and I read John Milton's Paradise Lost, which is kind of about that, the fallen angel, you know. It's a, it was a very interesting metaphor. I think that it is true throughout history, we've taken uh, people who, who are the revolutionaries, or we maybe agent of change is a, is a better one, whether these are physical revolutions like the American Revolution or... Uh, revolutions of the spirit, like you know, the Reformation, or or this, at the time of Enlightenment, and so on and so forth. Um, it is important sometimes to have that dark side, the shadow side, come forward, so that you can see it. Once you know the shadows there, that gives you the opportunity to shine a light on what's causing the shadow. And if you want to look at Trump as a as a shadow, what's causing the shadow? And the light you shine on that is the death economy. The President Trump is totally driven self-aggrandizement, and in business, the profit motive, and continuing that process and being successful in it from a very materialistic standpoint, that's a reflection or a shadow of the death economy, which says that should always be our motivating force. So once we shine the light on uh, what's causing the shadow, uh, then the, and we move the light higher and higher over what's causing the shadow, the shadow goes away. And I think that is in the process of what we're doing. And so, yeah, you you could say that the shadow side, when it finally exposes itself, is doing us all a big favor from that standpoint. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would disagree with both of us on this, but I don't think either one of us is saying that we necessarily like the current policies of the administration. What we're saying is these current policies, current attitudes are helping us see the shadow side of of the system that we've created. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom today. I think it's so timely. It's one of those things where I'm sure your book's being released right now and you're like, wow, who would have thought I was just called (laughs) for the exact right message at the exact right time it's needed. So for the listeners out there who are really resonating with you and want to connect with you and learn more about your book, where is the best place for them to connect online? Well, thank you, Melissa. The, the, go to johnperkins.org. And I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook and everything. And it's, But it's all right there, johnperkins.org. I'm an organism. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an organization, not a com. And, you know, they can order the book there from their local bookstores if they want online. They can get it all right there. And I'd really encourage your listeners to put their email in the little box there so they get my newsletter once a month or so. I think it has some interesting thoughts and at least that's maybe that's a bias. That is a biased view. But also it, it tells where I'm going to be speaking next and I, I'm doing local bookstores all over the country. I was supposed to be there in person, but now we're going to be doing them at the local bookstores for, for people locally, virtually. So, and all that information is on the newsletter. One just came out today and they're also on my website, johnperkins.org. So, Thank you. And I look forward to continuing the the conversation with some of your people. And I also want to say, Melissa, I I deeply appreciate what you do. You know, you talked earlier about the press, about the media. You were really talking about the mainstream media. I think the mainstream media has become almost irrelevant or at best sort of a propaganda advertising tool. But it's shows like this that really get the message across to people. So thank you so much for what you do. And please just keep doing it. (music) 
All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 142. So this week, I challenge you to get really clear on what your role is going to be to create a world you want to live in. I think there's so much going on that sometimes it can feel overwhelming. What do I choose? Do I have to do all of the things? When I first started Mind Love, I got caught in that trap myself. I remember learning about the zero waste movement. I was learning about social justice. I was learning about mindset. And suddenly I was not only changing out all the products in my house, I was trying to see if I could fit all my garbage in one jar while advocating for these different causes. And what I ended up realizing is that my time is better spent finding the things that I feel really passionate about and then just doing what I can to support other people as they move into their roles in the rest. So I do have my hand in quite a few things. I do think it is so important to be aware of how the world around you is running. Don't just ignore it. Don't spiritually bypass it. Don't get mad when other people bring it up because all of a sudden you think politics is coming in here. It's not politics. It's how your world is running. So how are you going to counteract it to create the life that you love? And in a bigger way, what area do you want to get really involved in? For some people, that's education. For some people, that's female empowerment. For some people, it's a little of a couple. But don't overwhelm yourself. Don't think you need to do everything. Just start bringing a little more intention. And the bright side is, the more you do work in this area, the less disempowered you feel with the world as a whole. You know you're making a little bit of a difference. You can see it, you can feel it in your bones, and you at least can know that you went down trying, worst case scenario. But I do think it shifts your energy, it shifts the way you view your own ability to create change, and it inspires people around you to do the work too. If you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast five stars. It really helps the growth of the show. I've received quite a few reviews this week. I'm going to be reading some of those on the podcast in an upcoming episode. And if you want twice the episodes of Mind Love, don't forget to check out Mind Love Premium. Just go to mindlove.com slash premium. We've got a whole community there. You get free meditations, extra episodes, AMA with me. So as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.